Hello, listeners. Welcome back to Dirty Harry Minute with our audio commentary for 1988's The Deadpool. This episode, John was very lucky to be joined by David Dedrick of Sneaky Dragon, a great Canadian podcast that just talks about everything. Please check them out. David, you may recall, was also one of our best guests on Minute 90, The Ice Cream Factory and was also the narrator of the first bunch of fan fiction. So that's about it. The podcast has basically come to an end. John, Tim, and Trent don't know what more they can say about Dirty Harry. If you're feeling lucky, there might be some more fan fiction coming your way and probably some further outtakes. I'd be remiss if I didn't also invite you to listen to the Mad Max Minute, where your hosts Rick and Julia talk about each of the Mad Max movies one minute at a time. Now to the episode at hand. Some instructions for this audio commentary. We will be using the standard U.S. Blu-ray version, which goes for 1 hour, 31 minutes, and 13 seconds. That's 1, 31, 13 seconds. So at the end of this, you'll hear me counting down 3, 2, 1. At which point, press play on your Blu-ray or file. Out of the way, hammerheads. 3, 2, 1. And we're playing. We have a black screen. I'm John, and I like Kokomo. And I'm David, and I'm currently freaked out by technology <laughs> do you like warner brothers logos you know what uh you know that's funny there are logos that make you happy when you see them like the 20th mm-hmm. century fox logo and i and i have a deep love of the old united artist logo from the 70s but i don't know if i'm like that attached to the warner brothers one it has great memories for me it's james dean police academy clint eastwood's movies so okay it's good for me sure sure Look at these credits. Very slow motion. And very, very, very 80s. Do you think they had to resort to slow motion because they didn't have enough footage? Or it's just too shaky, the camera work, so it's a good way of... Yeah, that's a good point. I wonder if uh, the the helicopter shots weren't that great, so they had to kind of resort to... Or it was just a way to make the movie longer. Very cheap. It's It's a pretty... It's a pretty... It's a short movie, right? Yeah, just under 100 minutes or roughly thereabouts. I feel like, I think, um, is it Magnum Force? Is that the longest one? That's right, yeah. Clocks in over two hours. Yeah. Lalo Schifrin. Oh, yeah. Great music. Maybe not in this movie, but generally great music. (laughs) It's kind of like when you go, oh, Ennio Morricone, how great. And then here's 80s stuff and you're like, well, synthesizers. Hmm." (laughs) Not quite what you're thinking of when you think of great Ennio Morricone. This is three movies, Dirty Harry movies in a row, where they have credits over San Francisco. And this movie probably doesn't need San Francisco the most. <laughs> like, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, yeah. And I like I like that it starts with a uh, this thing about uh, fires when it has nothing to do with uh, the movie. 
Yeah, that's right. I was going to say, is there an implication that the bad guy, whoever he is, is also an arsonist? Yeah, or that it's going to tie into the movie. You'd think by starting the movie with that, you'd have something like, they don't even have like Patricia Clarkson as the anchor. Yeah. It's just really weird. Like, there's no attempt to introduce any any part of the the movie into this into this scene. Like, who is this guy? Oh, there she, there she is. She's both a anchor woman and a uh, beat reporter. A lot of the names we've seen in the newspaper clippings are just in jokes. They're crew members for this movie in Mel Paso. People, yeah, is that right? That's good. Very funny. I I've driven uh, past or over Mel Paso Creek. So. Oh, really. Yeah, I've gone through. I've driven through Carmel. Ah, lucky duck. <laughs> Very lucky. Well, yeah, I guess. We get the first of the rat's tail there. Uh, and I get. Oh yeah. Putting together the uh, the sort of the the clothesline for the movie here. Why have they blurred the names up the top? Is that just a focus thing, or it just looks cool? Also, we don't know who's going to... Yeah, I was going to say to hide who, who, the ne- who the first victims will be or who the... Or maybe they just couldn't think of enough names for the, the list. <laughs> I just blur it out. It'll be fine. Hey, Dave, do you, do you want to hear a joke? Sure. Why did they make the Deadpool after sudden impact? Why? For a few dollars more. <laughs> I think this costs less than sudden impact. That's right. <laughs> they didn't make uh, they didn't make a novelization of this movie, so I've got no funny quotes to crack out in case of emergency. It's just you and me. <laughs> oh, don't know. Oh no. Well, I love seeing um I love seeing car like I love seeing cars in uh, movies from like the eighties seventies eighties because there's just so many American cars. Like it's not how you it's not what you see on the road anymore. Like, but when I grew up, all the cars on the road were like boxes. They're all like Plymouth Reliance and K cars and LeBarons and all these cars like that. They're all just chunky, square, the, no sense of style to them. I mean, I guess the style was that they were boxy, but it seemed like a really bad aesthetic choice. And then, like now when you watch a movie, you know, everyone's driving all kind, like all kind of import cars and stuff. But it's, you know, I mean, it's, re- it's realistic. An SUV, yeah, that's what all people drive here is SUVs mm-hmm. and pickup trucks. Makes them feel uh, bigger. Dave, this music is terrible. <laughs> I mean, Lalo may as well be writing Police Academy 5 soundtrack, not Dirty Harry 5. <laughs> You're mentioning, Dave, I think you mentioned once in the 80s how there's little genre music made its way into the into the, the memory. Like, it's all just this yeah. synth electronic smudge and gated snare drums. And, yeah, genre music didn't even stand a chance. No, you're right. And like when I grew up, like the theme from SWAT, the TV show SWAT was like a po- <laughs> like a top ten hit. Yeah. And same with the Rockford Files theme. Like those were like songs that people bought on forty five. But it's hard to imagine people being that thrilled. Like even like some of the incidental music from like you know A Fistful of Dollars and stuff like that were popular radio play. You know, on uh, when in the old days when radio stations played a variety of music rather than just all narrow casting. Ooh. Oh dear. Harry is wearing his 1971 uniform. <laughs> is he st- the red cardigan? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm assuming it's a deliberate nod to try and recreate some of the magic. I guess so. Or maybe this felt like it kind of introduces character to people so they go like, oh, that dirty Harry. <laughs> oh, there's VW. There's a Volkswagen Beetle before. 
What I like about this sequence is how little value it has to the actual movie. Like it, yeah. it doesn't set up any continuing element to the film. <laughs> that was a bit of slow motion there, wasn't it? Oh, everyone's getting shot in the head too. Boy. Like this guy, like why don't I just run away? If you're that bad at what you do. Yeah, he did. He's, he he got smart, but nope. There's no no Oh, jeez. Oh, shot in the back. <laughs> they weren't even wearing flak jackets or anything. Just like so little thought, no preparation at all for this whole thing. In the trailer, it says, you think you know what Dirty Harry is up to? Then think again. <laughs> and it's like, bullshit, it's the same crap. <laughs> yeah. It's just him being crabby. Is that a pork pie hat? What's What sort of hat is that? Just a fedora? Felt hat? No, I, I could... People wear them in the 80s? No. No one wore those. Oop, that guy's gone. Oop, no, he's in the back now. Oh, we get <laughs> Patricia Clarkson in her weird smile as if she knows something. <laughs> like, what is that? Oh, we've got the famous Hall of Honor, uh, the cop, you know, what do you call it? The memorial there. Yeah, that kind of introduces the first film where they have the, the crawl down it. Yep. Also appears in um, the Enforcer when the bomb goes off when he's with Tyne Daly. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's interesting the change in these films, like, Obviously, the first movie is, like, such a cartoon that's, like, you know, designed to, like, all your feelings are on the police side and everything you you just hate. You hate I mean, obviously, the villain's terrible, but that's the point of it. You just hate that guy so much. There's, like, no way that that person could ever be, have any kind of, like, a re- redemption story. But by the time you get to this movie, like, the police are... They're not dangerous like they were in Lethal Enforcers. They're like, they're like a joke. They're just... They're a publicity machine. They're trying to, like... You know, only Dirty Harry is doing the hard work. These guys are all like just a uh, just a sideshow with their their clowning around. They still do a token. You know, you're a bull in a china shop. You know, stop being excessive mm-hmm. use, using mm-hmm. your force. Yeah, but it doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> it doesn't. No. no. But it's, this is like 17 years of uh, Harry's. We've been establishing Harry's out of date methods. Yeah, yeah. It's a long time. Very tiring. <laughs> He's just tired of it all. Now, do you, oh, we missed opinions like assholes. That great line, which I don't know. You know, in Top Gun, how he goes, I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. Apparently, this was the first time it ever been used. Opinions are like assholes. Is that I find right? It hard to believe. The first ever time. Yeah, that is interesting. I wonder. I would be curious to know, like, the actual writing of this movie. Like, I know that I know that it was written by nutritionists nutritionist that that Clint Eastwood was using to live forever. But I, I doubt that there, I feel like there must have been some attempt to polish the script or at least, at least farm that out to someone and have someone think of a, of a funny line for that part of the movie. But who- My funny line is they didn't really nourish the script. <laughs> oh, El Quan, his possible partner is being introduced now. Yeah, yeah. Who, when you saw him out in the office, he looked really confused by what's happening and now, mm. oh, he still looks confused. Like, what? I am? I guess they didn't discuss this with you, Al? That seems a little mm-hmm. unfair. He looks really nervous. Like, uh-oh. I know what happened to Chico. I know what happened to Tyne Daly. I don't know that character's name. Get a bulletproof vest. I'll take note of that. Oh, Sherlock Holmes in the background. Ironic, because there's not much investigation that Harry does in this movie. <laughs> no. No, it's the most... Uh, it's basically 
it's basically one of those films where well it's so lame the the murderer has no has no motive which is very popular nowadays but i don't think it was as common then in films like to have a murderer that had no no motive is just crazy and so you just yeah. go oh no wonder they're wearing people's skin they're crazy or whatever and this movie's the same but you know the way they like oh jim carrey the way to get the jim carrey the way to actually get to have dirty harry find him is the the murderer basically presents himself to dirty harry and then you know <laughs> like jim's presenting his teeth he's so good He's sort of doing Riddler practice here, isn't he? He's, well, I mean, <laughs> I think, not to insult Jim Carrey, I think when he's doing a, a movie like, uh, you know, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind or um, or other movies, I think he is, you know, doing a, but when, he's, when he wants to just ham it up, he has basically one note that he, that he, that he likes to play. Well, sometimes he can go a little bit crisp and glover, you know. <laughs> There's another guy who likes to ham it up. Yeah, hamming it up. Apparently, they just filmed this at the end of the production, just three three days down in Los Angeles, in a meat locker, as we'll later reveal. Well, I guess that explains the breath we're seeing. That's. Uh... I suppose if he wasn't talking or singing, you could just do the old ice cube in the mouth trick. But uh... <laughs> did you ever see Sully? Uh, Sully, the movie. Um, Tom I... Hanks. Oh, Sully. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, I did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In that there's like some horrible CGI um, icy breath uh, they, they inserted. I didn't notice that. I never worry about those sort of things. I don't worry about that stuff. Do you... Can you tell that Jim Carrey is a Canadian accent here at all? I can't hear a Canadian accent. I, maybe, <laughs> maybe I could hear an Ontario accent. He, has, he is from Ontario, but it depends where you are in Ontario. I can tell he doesn't sound to me like classically American, whatever that sure, is. I don't sure. know. When he goes, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> about? Yeah. Yeah, that uh, slightly uh, ac- accented ow. Oh, that definitely points to a, to Canada. Canadian Canadian actors up here, they have to, um, They a lot of them go to um, acting school to learn to get rid of their Canadianisms. Wow. So they learn to say uh, semi instead of semi and and via instead of via and things like that. Yeah, the, the correct way of saying them. <laughs> <laughs> if you say so. Do you think Liam Neeson here, is he supposed to be like a Wes Craven or maybe even like a British, like Alan Parker, upstart, young, just director of slasher films? Is he modelled on anyone in particular? Wow, that would be fun if it was, but it doesn't feel like it. Like, it would be cool if it was like a Wes Craven or a Clive Barker or something like that. Like that. They kind of played on that element of it, but... It doesn't feel like there's anything recognizable about him that you would point. And I don't even know if those actors are like really that recognizable. You know what I mean? Like they're not someone that yeah. we like describe, like sum up Wes Craven for me. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Like, 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 you know, like someone like Alfred Hitchcock had like a, a style or whatever, you know, and you could kind of like, you know, you could have you could some do fun. something original. Yeah. You could <laughs> do something kind of fun with the character. But in this case, I, maybe Wes Craven had a, had an awful, uh, ponytail is that is that true <laughs> i don't think so do you think swan liam neeson do you think he's legitimately fond of um johnny squares because later he pretends not to but do you think he has any care for um jim carrey's character i don't know i probably doesn't know him very well do they does it seem like they have a real relationship he's just a director i mean he's just he's gonna do what he 
can to in a in a something I was reading about this movie they described Liam Neeson is filming a, a a music video but it's for a movie isn't it isn't aren't they doing Hotel Satan like, there's a screenplay there yeah I mean I, I guess they're doing a, like a tie-in video for the movie but uh... I don't think it's exactly clear I think Kerry does all right in this bit don't you I'm I've never seen anyone in the flesh I've just got train Me I've just got train spotting uh, memory but um... <laughs> that's all I have too. But he seems to do the turn it off in the eyes, and I've no one recovered addicts, but I've never known anyone who is. Like I, I would guess, as an actor, when you're trying to be really still and keep your eyes open, like later when he dies, that would be quite difficult. But I suppose you're used to doing it on stage when, you, well, when you're. That's because there's always back. a crew member tickling you just off camera. <laughs> this makes it really hard. Oh, there's a tickle. <laughs> Yeah, we're hardly gonna hardly gonna see you at all, Jim. You're the most important victim in this movie. Yeah, he really is. He's the only character that gets any kind of establishment or establishing of of his character, and then he's he's out like that. He get he even gets a girlfriend and a funeral and bandmates, and then unimportant murders happen. <laughs> so this movie was 1988. That's right. So. It's kind of interesting because Jim Carrey would have already been like quite well known for his fantastic uh, Clint Eastwood impersonation, which was basically yes. all facial gestures, which made it so good. A good Canadian kid spent spent time in his childhood living out of a car. Really? Yeah, yeah. Their pa- family were an Oldsmobile. Very poor. <laughs> I don't know if it's an Oldsmobile, but hopefully it was something large, large and square. Well, he made it. He ended up in this Law and Order type. Episode of Dirty Harry. Ah, <laughs> uh, Al. Yeah, poor Al. He's Captain Exposition here, or maybe in the whole movie he is. Yeah, I guess this is where I seeing a little bit of... Um... How does he... What does he say? Homicide, though. If he, mm. he's describing like a natural death, like you're saying, oh, well, that's right. <laughs> you know, he's got cocaine residue, and he's got uh, obviously uh, a heroin user, and then he, then he goes, homicide is great. Why are you even there? Yeah, I, I don't know. Do you say welcome to coroner land? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got a recastorama for uh, for uh, for Liam Neeson here. Okay. Um, I don't know if you have one. I'd like Ra- Ray Fiennes to do him. <laughs> was Ray Fiennes uh, that well known at that time? Like, don't you think? No, he's... no. His his first movie was just a few before in ni- the early nineties. Okay, yeah. okay. I'm gonna t- I'm gonna it's go with fantasy, uh, well. Dave. I'm gonna go with Stephen Ree. Oh, okay, okay, nice. I think he'd I think he'd be good. He'd be a little different, but he'd have that kind of hangdog kind of element to himself, and I think that would make him seem. Both kind of more innocent, but also more more malevolent, because you're not sure about him. Because Liam Neeson kind of plays this character like very heavy. Like he never, he yeah. never, he never lets up on like, you know, like look at him there. It looks like he's. Why is he so defensive? He could help himself not look so guilty at this early stage of the movie, anyway. <laughs> well, I mean, he's the red herring, so you, you don't want to you want to keep him like that. And I guess that's why they chose that that him for the for the role. It's funny. I don't remember. I only the first film I remember seeing Liam Neeson in is uh, Dark Man, the uh, Sam Raimi film. 
He's quite good in that movie, as corny as it is. And then I love him in uh, Woody Allen's um, Husbands and Wives. He's very good in that film as well. Does a good job as a half. Oh, yeah, half with list. Australia's own Judy Davis. Yes, she's so good in that movie. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. I get that and Hannah and her sisters mixed up. I don't know why. I know they're different films. <laughs> yes, they have different names. Kane's in one, isn't he? <laughs> Music, there you go. Music video tie in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You think that. Yeah, I don't understand the uh, the hostility to the police in this sequence. You you'd think that they'd want to like. You think that well, I guess he's so. Well, an Englishman loves the fuzz. Is what you're saying? Englishmen love the gentle bobbies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I maybe I don't know. Maybe he's count, he's so counterculture that any any police interference is is uh, insult. It's funny you have an Englishman chewing bubble gum. Um, usually, you think that's an annoying Yankee trait. But well, uh, that just shows you what a seller he is. <laughs> Gosh, Patricia Clarkson, look how wafy she is. So thin. Yeah. Look at that belt. <laughs> I only really know her from The Untouchables. Um, it's just minor role, isn't it? And in, I don't know if you've seen The Station Agent with Peter Dinklage. I haven't. I think I, I do think I've seen that movie, but I do. I don't ever remember. I don't remember it, which is really weird. But I do remember like watching it, but I don't remember anything of it, which is strange. I also don't remember her in The Untouchables. But as you know, I only watch a movie once, so... Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so this Does is... that also go for your wedding video? Sorry, love, I've just watched the wedding video once. Yeah. <laughs> you know my policy. I don't think I've even watched the wedding... Oh, no, I have watched the wedding video. I did watch the wedding video. But... He wrecked the camera. Typical. <laughs> <laughs> she is good there. She's such a good actress. It's such a we- it's such a weird. I just feel like she's it's, it's a weird bit of casting to me. But you know, he also had Genevieve Bujold opposite him in uh, in um, tightrope. Tightrope is that what it's called? Tightrope. Yep. Um, and she's kind of a strange actor. I mean, she, I really like her as well. I particularly like her from the Ellen Rudolph films, like Welcome to L.A. and stuff. But uh, she. Uh, She's kind of a weird actress as well to cast in a movie like that. But she, so I, I don't know. Maybe he's just kind of going in that direction at the time. It was just like look for up and coming actresses that were very talented, you know, or at least some that were established, but maybe not used that much to their best. Uh... I do have a bit of trivia about uh, the nutritionist's um, role in Clint's life, um, Dave. Did you say wife? I've read. <laughs> life, life. Oh, I did read Sondra Locke's autobiography. Oh, okay. And she says it all began when Clint was preparing for Any Which Way You Can. Sure. You know, the second ape movie. Okay. Quote, Clint used their, their pills to beef up to play that character. He would also keep large bowls of boiled potatoes in the fridge and eat them like popcorn. <laughs> and then she goes on about how she'd spend hours with Clint help him helping him mix the miracle powder into capsules um, to swallow and he'd get angry when she'd spill some. <laughs> Gone was the avocado with the dollop of mayonnaise that we had always enjoyed as the nutrition took over his life. Huh. Huh. Interesting. There's um, the uh, comedian Paul F. Tompkins talks about doing the movie The Informant and uh, and Matt Damon had put on weight for that film and he describes like a... him doing a scene with Matt Damon and then Matt Damon's handlers coming in and putting this little plate with a, like a gelatin cube on it for his lunch. <laughs> I guess he was 
trying to lose weight for his next role, I guess. Here we are at the Chinese restaurant. Chinese restaurant with the pop. I, I've never eaten in a Chinese restaurant in San Francisco. I visited San Francisco twice, though, so I've. Oh, okay. I've been there twice, but I've never been to their Chinatown, actually, come to think of it. That's funny. We have a Chinatown here in Vancouver as well, so I probably thought what I've already been there. This is, I believe, Washington Street in Chinatown or thereabouts, very near where um, Scorpio tries to, you know, hide, goes to the playground. You know that scene where Harry's stalking him to make sure he doesn't... Uh... Okay, okay. Oh. Seems a little flagrant. Harry's going around back. <laughs> a lot of violence. How much is a restaurant going to have on them? <laughs> oh. yeah, it seems like a lot of trouble to go to to get $50. Oh, the rat's tail. Yeah, very popular at the time, I guess. I had a friend who had one. It was so terrible. What a choice. I told him, you'll, you'll regret it one day. <laughs> sure he does. But it was kind of like... It was kind of like a... You couldn't quite give up on the fact that you had long hair the year before. Yeah. So you're like... You were like, oh, man, I know I have to like be new, more new wave. But I just can't like give up all my hair. So I'm just going to leave like this little bit hanging out. <laughs> You're shit out of luck. Is that the first time that was used? I don't know. I find it hard to believe. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's a great line. It is. A, it is. But of course, it's not very easy. It's not very thoughtful when you're thinking about free-to-air TV play. I mean, they're going to have to censor that, aren't they? Whereas the six shots only five isn't profane at all. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, make my day. And it's more, and it, it's more in the scene and more suspenseful. I mean, it's part of the characterization of, of the guy that a he knows exactly how many shots he fired. Oh, oh, look at that <laughs> tiny little bit of karate. So you can do martial arts, Harry. You don't need to kill them. You yeah, can just yeah. Help that's, them out. That's right. Harry is the first. Uh, the first. Uh, Example of of gun fu, he's be, he's well ahead of John Wick in that. Uh... Are we all relieved? Are we both relieved that at least Harry didn't say something racist about MSG or something in the food? <laughs> <laughs> Man, I think that time was over by even by this point of this movie. Like for stuff like that, it's okay to make jokes about trans, you know, uh, trans people, but not not uh, not Asian people and stuff like that. Would have been too too terrible. Would it have been permissible for them to just use "Make My Day" again, or do you definitely just get one catchphrase? No, per I think movie? yeah, I think you have to do one catchphrase per movie. And I, I think this movie doesn't have like a very good one because the problem with like the the uh, opinions are like assholes. Everyone has one. Is that it's used at the very first five minutes of the movie and then it's never reused again. Like yeah. like if you said it at the end of the film, uh, you know like like. The killer, like making some sort of soliloquy about how you know he, you know, is a great critic and blah blah blah, and you know his opinion of this and that, and you know is so important and stuff like that, and then he kills him and says, you know, opinions are like assholes. Everyone has one. That would be better, you know. Then you got it. You'd have it front and back of the movie, and then you'd also have like a re, you know, like some sort of t- tagline to the film, but which you don't. He just walks away. But I, I even though I like Magnum Force a lot. Uh, and I think the other movies are so so to okay to not great, <laughs> but um, I always feel like they're all like not out of canon because he throws away yeah. his badge at the end of the first movie, so it doesn't make any sense to me that there's more more films after that. 
Two million dollars for damage to a camera. Is that sort of only an ambit claim that you can make in America? Two million dollars. Yeah, it's the sort of thing that you threaten, but you you never you. But you know. would you even threaten that in Canada, or would it be like? No, we have we have a cap on uh, on damages in cases. No punitive damages, whatever it's called. You know the ones. Yeah, that, that common there, law to make a. Point. There are there are those things, but there's caps on them, so that the the purpose of going to court and, and suing over you know for millions of dollars because a ladder fell over is not it's just not remunerative enough here in Canada. Do you like um, Donnelly's eyebrows? Uh, yeah. You know, I'm. His I'm, name is Donnelly, and he's got an Irish mug on his desk. So, <laughs> and on his and on his face. <laughs> but you know, I'm heading that direction myself. You know, so oh. where your where your gray hairs on your in your eyebrows are just like they're they're doing their own thing that's outside of your control. So you know, what the heck? I'm all for it. I just like that kind of like complete, like un- no no vanity. You know, yeah. Like that guy could. You know, take a half an hour and go get his eyebrows trimmed at some place. Some young twenty twenty year old girl <laughs> with, a, with you know, spreading some wax between his between his eyes and but nope, can't be bothered. Nope. Harry's fine. drinking a Guinness? Is that out of character for him or is it Yeah, it feels like it's wrong. It feels like he should be drinking an American beer. Or it's the Irish thing again. Yeah. But this is the nutritionist, right? They're saying, No, no, you need a beer that's like drinking a potato. <laughs> so you need a Guinness. It's a step up. They always have Olympia beer in the previous movies. Do you get that in Vancouver? Not anymore. In fact, uh, Olympia beer was is actually a, from Washington State, which is the state directly yeah. below us. But um, we didn't get uh, American beer. Would have been an import at that time, right? And Olympia beer was just not that great to want to to have to make that that. Uh, I think it's I think it's dead now. I think the company is closed. Bow, bow. Just too bad, but yeah, uh, we went and visited their um, the brewery when I was a kid because my dad loved Olympia beer, and uh, we went. Well, to he's certainly not drinking it now. No, he's a Co- he's a Coors Light dude. <laughs> she wants his story. Yeah, she wants to do a podcast about him. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> there's, there's, there's all these unsolved murders in town. What do you know about them? Look at all these clippings, and that's a very one. Look at one. There's one of Harry with his switchblade that happened in the. Internal offices with Bressler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not photographed. How does that magically in the paper? <laughs> the, the mole, a mole in the uh, department. Here's a quote about Patricia Clarkson and, and her involvement. With some exceptions, Eastwood always had trouble getting marquee female names for his movies. You'd start talking about Meryl Streep and end up with Patty Clarkson. Is that is that right? <laughs> I didn't realize that because that's funny. Like almost every actress who's worked with Clint Eastwood, like as a director, loves working with him, you know? Mm. And even if, you know, like Angelina Jolie, after she did the Changelings, she's like, you know, I really only want to work with Clint Eastwood now, you know, which she didn't because Clint Eastwood, of course, doesn't base his projects on Angelina Jolie, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, most, it seems like uh, most actors or actresses who work with him really, really like his, uh, his uh, directing style and his, his, uh, you know, the way he, uh, where he runs a set and you know doesn't demand doesn't overly demanding of the actors just you know looks for a, looks for good performances but isn't isn't a Peter Jackson you know or a mm. David Fincher with his seventy takes trying to break the actor down and stuff like that you know all thinking there's Stanley Kubrick who by the way didn't didn't 
always do 70 takes uh, of a scene. It was urban myth. Now we're at the gym. Yeah. Yeah. Showing that, that maybe Al and Harry are more like roommates than partners. <laughs> They're eating together, jogging together, perving on women. Well, maybe perving on women together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who's wider? Is he someone that's from the uh, the show? Haven't Googled that. Oh, okay. Clint's 58 here, Dave, uh, Dave. Only a few years older than you. <laughs> um, Ooh. You look better, don't worry. But um, I suppose back then you didn't really have near 60-year-olds exercising really he looks pretty good for 60 yeah, back he then does, don't you think? he does and and i mean he's one of those sort of physical freaks that uh well it's probably just because he's a slim guy like a naturally yeah. slim person so you, you do tend to age a little better in that way but apparently he self-loathes about his hips he calls them the eastwood hips mm. something to think about they're sort of a bit um whitish yeah whitish i guess yeah he's a broad he's he is broad like he's slim from the side but he is broad he's He's a like has a big frame, but I don't know. That also makes you look th- uh, slimmer anyway. But like, maybe that's why he wears a jacket in the show or in the movie. Is it to the film's credit, Dave, that there's no sort of moment where Harry's saying, "I'm too old for this," or is it good that he ignores it? Is it good that he ignores that? Doesn't make it an issue. Well, I don't. I mean, I think they could have some fun with it if 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 Clint Eastwood was willing to, but uh, maybe he wasn't willing to to. You know, if someone is as crazy about their diet and nutrition in order to live forever, they don't want to have like a bunch of jokes about how old they are. <laughs> but it would have been—I think it would have been fun if he was chasing a, a really young killer, and it was like he was really winded by it, you know. And or if they reproduce the, if they reproduce the 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 uh, running sequence from the first movie for this movie, and he's just gutted by it, you know, that'd be kind of fun. Right to funerals. We are now. Looking at Slash and Axel's the bandana, is he? Um, you know what? I'm no, I'm not a Guns and Roses aficionado, so nor I, me. Nor really. I did, do, I did do a bit of um, IMDb searching. Slash apparently had a small role in that movie Sid and Nancy. You know that sort of lo-fi movie yeah, yeah, about yeah. Um, Sid Vicious. Alex yeah, Davis Cox movie. That. That's a great, that's a great movie. Well, look at that necklace. Is he from the Munsters or something? So that's Axel Rose with the uh, the. The purple bandana there. <laughs> what about the necklace? The, are these guys from the Munsters or something? <laughs> Motley Crue. It's a goth wedding. Or sorry, goth, sorry, not a goth wedding, goth funeral. Surely Axel should have worn a black bandana at a funeral. Well, you know what? It's so disrespectful. There's a there's Duff, I guess Duff McKagan. So hard to tell. Like those guys, oh, they're 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 permed. They're they're uh, poodle hair from those kind of poodle. Poodle rock bands, the heavy metal hair rock bands from that time period. I think Guns N' Roses would object to being called a hair rock band, but they really did cash in on that, <laughs> cash in on that time period with their power ballad, you know, November Rain and all that stuff. Nobody takes my film seriously. Pretty much talking about Clint there as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Until the French discovered him in the eighties that he was a auteur. Sure. Well, they discovered Jerry Lewis too, so it's really hard to to carry, walk around with that on your as a medal on your lapel. IMDB says there's a lot of continuity with the rat's tail here. I haven't really been paying attention, mm. but it comes and goes. Okay, okay. I wonder if, well, if, I mean, that makes sense if they filmed, like, the Jim Carrey elements of the film much earlier in the in the movie. What sort of jacket is Liam Neeson wearing? Was that a popular 80s thing? It looks like something from Back to the Future or some 50s sort of... Um, 
No, he's trying to look like he's in uh, Echo and the Bunnymen with his <laughs> overcoat. You two or whatever. Yeah, like, look at the wide shoulders. Oh, my gosh, the 80s. So much to answer for. We just miss Brian's favorite line, love. <laughs> just make films, love. Look at all those American cars. Hilarious. This movie apparently did very well for Guns N' Roses because their first, their album Appetite for Destruction didn't do so well for apparently a year or so, but just as this, it hit number one in August, just a month after this movie. So if anyone saw Deadpool, because <laughs> no one really did, yeah. hardly turned a profit, they would have, oh, there's our favorite new band. I just think that they they had a really, really good uh, video director help them with uh, Paradise, whatever that movie, whatever that song's called, Paradise something or other. Paradise City? Paradise City, yeah. I think you're right. Was he perving? Did he catch... Is he back to perving like he was at the gym? Like it's another throwback to the first movie? I don't... I think he was just looking at her slippers and being judgy. Like that she's not wearing high-heeled. Oh, okay. Not that newswomen need to have... Yeah. Like, because I mean, look at her. She looks like she's a housewife there wearing her slippers, which I think is accurate and kind of a fun, like, kind of in-joke kind of a thing that you don't have to see it, so you don't need to wear it, you know? Like, there's no need for her to wear high-heel shoes. She can be comfortable. We find out now that Harry's new cause de célèbre, his pet peeves are now media hype and distortion, which hasn't really popped up in any of the movies to this point. It's all been about the bureaucracy. Yeah. Yeah, and it's something that... And I think this is the first movie that, that kind of... De- I don't think that's a part of any of the other films, the idea of, of press exploitation of, of, of this stuff. You know, because that's not what the first movie's axe to grind was and then but I mean this movie doesn't really it doesn't really do very much with it though does it I mean it doesn't no there's more about this in Sully than there is in or or not Sully but in um the other one he did about the the um Richard Jewell Richard Jewell yeah yeah that's more about media media garbage and and you know just throwing people putting people's names out there for to, to get uh drag through the mud I know you would have preferred if Clarkson if her character had been like a critic of Harry for most of the movie yeah, and then yeah. she turned or maybe yeah I just well, she doesn't she doesn't have any I mean my biggest problem with the movie is that there's no through line to the entire movie like everything that's happening is is is, is segments of things but they're never linked together in any way like we're going to get a scene here now where they're going to be shot at by Gennaro's guys but Chekhov's elevator. <laughs> that's right. If you <laughs> if you get into a glass elevator, it will it will uh, either be attacked by vermicious canids or by people with, <laughs> or gunmen. Um, spoiler alert: It's not going to be as good an elevator scene as in the Line of Fire a few years later, which is really quite tense and good. Yeah, well, yeah, it's a well-made movie. Skip to dessert. She doesn't want the date to continue. Let's just skip to dessert. <laughs> Let's skip dessert. <laughs> Really annoying uh, zoom in or, or pulling the camera in for no reason. Why did the nutritionist let this fructose moment <laughs> in the film? It just shows what she's a villain. Everyone's a villain by what they eat in the movie. That's how we know they're bad. <laughs> and once again, Dave, there's a much better repartee um, in, uh, in Tightrope. Yeah, yeah. Genevieve. There's no nothing here. 
No, and you even get Clint Eastwood doing a smattering of a Louisiana accent in that movie. Not not much of one, but he he does gamely attempt it a few times. I think Patricia Clarkson is actually from the South, because in one of her lines she delivers later in the movie, maybe they filmed that first when she hadn't really set up her character or whatever. It's on display there. I don't think we've seen it yet. Look at those unlikely hoodlums. <laughs> they look more like they look like two guys who are like from the stand-up club rather than uh hey. Who's the guy, who's the chaplain in Mash with the French name that recently died? You know the movie oh, yeah, Mash? René Aubergenois. Ah yes. He's Canadian French or something, isn't he? I don't know. I didn't know that if he was. He reminds me of him. Okay, okay. Or whoever the guy is in Police Academy Five, the the bad guy. Is he in uh, Is he in Police Academy Five? Yeah, he's the bad I've never, guy. I've never, I've never, I've seen Police Academy One, and that was enough for me. I stopped there. To me, that's such an American name, like Chester. Who has the first name Chester? Chester Duxter. Chester B. Arthur, the President of the United States. There's some names that just sound so American to me. Like in the, I was watching the. Um, the Great Escape recently, and it's like Virgil Hiltz and Dexter and all these weird names. Mm, mm. Yeah, it's a curious thing. There's either they either use like weird biblical names in the past, mm. or they used, uh, or yeah, kind of names like Chester or uh, Mortimer and things like that. Yeah, where do where do these names come from? Well, your favorite name, Barnabas. <laughs> Barnabas. <laughs> Dork Shadows. <laughs> yes. IMDB tells us marbles were used to uh, inflict the the shattering of the of the glass, whatever you call it. Oh yeah, they're throwing marbles at the at the glass. That's a good. That's it a good some idea. Sort of machine. That's a good idea. I like the fact that they they started firing, and they fired at the sign. <laughs> it's nice of them. Yeah. Nice of them to give a warning. We're gonna try and kill you, but also you can duck. That said, the cinematography is pretty good in this movie. Um, not bad. I mean, it's Jack Green who has a good relationship with Clint up until the 2000s, did most of his movies. Okay. From Heartbreak Ridge on. Mm. Like even like an Unforgiven and stuff like that? Yeah, that's right. Wow. Jack Green. Wow. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he is, a good, he is a good cinematographer. Unfortunately, there's a terrible director at the helm of this movie. <laughs> you know, so it's just kind of TV level direction. I found out Jack Jack Green, the cinematographer. Poof, poof. He actually—I don't know how—but he 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 photographed a forty-year-old virgin. <laughs> oh, really? So yeah, weird. Wow. You got all, I don't wonder how that worked out. You got all these Clint Eastwood movies. You pretty much work just for him, and then Apatow finds him. <laughs> well, I guess you want someone who can help you make a movie look better, and someone who's experienced that that isn't there to make you know isn't there they're not there to make jokes, so just there to make your movie look professional, you know, and that's that's something that you want. And I mean. He's probably used to working really quickly and with fast setups because he worked with Clint Eastwood for a long time, and Clint Eastwood does not like to wait around. And uh, even though he worked with Michael Cimino, he does not like to wait. Yeah, that is a bit weird, isn't it? Well, uh, having read about Cimino, uh, Clint Eastwood like had to keep the had to keep his nose to the grindstone through the whole movie, and pretty much threatened to leave. Uh, just said, you know, mm-hmm. you have to finish you have to finish all your setups today because I'm leaving tomorrow. And Shmito had to rush. Um, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, it's a really quite a, a gem of a movie. Oh, it's a really good I film. I forget yeah. how good it is, yeah. It's a great movie, yeah, for sure. 
Forgot to mention, this is the first of three PTSD situations uh, Harry and Patricia Clarkson will have. Where she's <laughs> shook up wearing a blanket? He's her saviour. Mm. <laughs> poor, poor Patricia. Go home and take some Valium. Good old American mailbox. Now we are here at the gate of San Quentin. I learnt only recently that it's right near the Tress in real life. This San Quentin, famous from Johnny Cash songs and everything, yeah. is right near the Trestle Bridge scene in the first Dirty Harry. Oh, really? Lake Spur huh. Landing. Yeah, just. A- yeah, uh, San Quentin. I mean, San Quentin. I've always thought as a maximum security prison, but it's not. It's a minimum security. Really? Yeah. So Folsom's more hardcore? I should listen to the Folsom prison? That's right. That's the one you should really care about. <laughs> oh, look at this big mother. Yeah. I brought you some cigarettes. Like, I just... I just like how corny this is. Like, in every way, it's corny and meaningless and dumb. Oh, yeah. The prison guards are going to take this guy down. <laughs> so, it's like... There's no one there to say No. I was hoping Brian from Marine Corps Minute would be on today. Yeah. He might join us later, but I was going to draw the parallels between this character and the Swede in Heartbreak Ridge, the movie before this. Oh, <laughs> I only know the Swede from um, Miller's Crossing. All right, yeah. He's also pretty tough. Apparently, a Swede is a tough guy. Once again, this is another unique thing in the Dirty Harry universe in that Harry has actually sent a criminal to jail and not simply killed yeah, him. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This anth- this uh, actor, Lugenero, is uh, played by Anthony Charnotta. Okay. And he was also in small, small roles in City Heat and The Rookie. Yeah, one of those. A well, working actor. I admire those people. Just- Big fucking media hero. I just feel like this is a weird part of the movie to like end this 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 subplot. Yeah. Like you've you've built it up, you've you know, you've got this this uh two different showdowns with with a lot of gunplay and stuff like that. And now you're going to uh And this is really going to intimidate a gangster? Like wouldn't you just hire someone else in the jail to kill that guy? Like he's got all this money. <laughs> like you just get some guy with a sharpened toothbrush to knock that guy off and then you're you're king of the... This guy's king of the heap. He doesn't care about that guy. We're almost halfway through the movie now. Oh, it's sort of an echo of, you know, it didn't find all the pieces. It sort of reminds you of which bones are with which and which... Uh, the suicide scene in the first movie. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I guess. I wonder... Yeah, I guess when the nutritionists were writing this movie, I, I guess they were just looking for... Things that were kind of cool, you know? <laughs> but here's the thing about nutritionists, and this is not, I don't want to offend anybody, but I don't think this is news. They're not cool. <laughs> There's nothing cool about nutrition. It's good. You know, it's good for you to be nutritious, but it's not cool. Like, no one, you don't see someone eating broccoli and go, that guy is so cool. Look at that. It's so ridiculous. Yeah, eggplants are the cool. The cool food, Dave. <laughs> Eggplants. Then bananas, then strawberries. I can't eat anything that has egg in its name. 
Now we have the skull and bones. <laughs> yes. Yes. And a little, some more uh, Guns N' Roses. And you had a joke prepared, I think. There's Izzy Stradlin. Yeah, I said, I said, uh, spear guns and roses. <laughs> Cuts. Hilarious. It's nice that they got, you know, a couple of little bits in the movie, though. That's kind of fun. It's all fun before the, uh, the nightmare of fame hits you. Why does Swan blame the special effects guy? Surely, wasn't it Slash's fault for doing it too quick or soon or something? Well, oh man, he's mad. You're not even sure why he's mad. That's how mad he is. I don't think he said cut before. I think he was saying the other C word. (laughs) (laughs) Now, apparently one of the nutritionist writers has a cameo somewhere here in this mob. Oh, okay. Okay. Huh. This is a guy eating a potato. That's what I'm looking for. Is that a Liam Neeson joke? No, you said that Clint Eastwood would keep baked potatoes or boiled potatoes in the fridge and eat them like popcorn. <laughs> I think we're going to see Harry's wearing a 49ers hat. I believe that guy right there is a nutritionist. Yeah. Is this weird that they're... Why is Clint there? And Why is Harry there? Why is anyone there? Yeah. There's nothing in the previous scenes... To suggest that anyone's trying to shut the film down or anything, is there? No. But I think, you know, when you've established the director as your red herring, you have to kind of keep the attention on, on, on him, you know, and know that he's, you know, like a person who has a has a, a ponytail like that, it's capable of anything. This is the most, this is the most ridiculous death in, in the, uh, the movie. It's 50 minutes, 50 minutes in, it's only the second murder. And it it does it's you're so unconnected to it you don't even it's like I mean obviously Clint Eastwood was was mad at Polly and Kale that's obvious but still but they don't even have like any kind of like Polly and Kaleisms like she should be smoking like a chimney <laughs> or have a bunch of young men around her or whatever you know like but nope just murder I think some part of this set apparently. Maybe it's the day afterwards is supposed to be where they film Play Misty for me. Okay. Maybe not so much this interior, but later when we see Harry come in to look at the body. Oh, yeah. Uh, farewell Jessica Harper, right? Is that her name, Jessica? The uh, actress who uh, just passed away was uh, the... Uh, oh, Jessica crazy- Walter. Jessica Walter. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, Jessica Walter. A critic with a heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At least he gets some jokes. <laughs> well, it just feels like it feels like someone's someone's uh, someone who's who's uh, starring in the movie is speaking through this murderer. Look at that fruit bowl. I was more looking at the fact that she has some weird doll on her coach. Like, what is yeah. that about? Yeah, Rapunzel. Is it like the Wicked Witch of the West? Or I guess. Something? I guess that was a thing at the time to like, you know, maybe to to have like, you know, like it was it was wasn't bad enough to have macrame, you know, plant hang, like hanging with plants hanging from them around your apartment, but. Uh, <laughs> this is like The Simpsons. He can't remember my name. My name is Homer Simpson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She looks a bit like Julie. Uh, what's her name? She looks a bit like um, the woman who does The Simpsons. Uh, what's her name? The English Julie Kavner. No, the other one. Sorry. Oh, you're talking about. Oh, sorry. Uh, the doesn't do The Simpsons. Then The Simpsons started on the show. You mean? Yeah, Tracy Ullman. She looks Tracy like Ullman, Tracy Ullman. Yeah, yeah. Look at that fruit, man. Isn't that orgy ready? Like. That's, that's going to go right. That's going to go bad. Well, just 
She wasn't sexually assaulted, so the that's why the fruit is mm. still intact. Oh. I wish they'd show the I wish they'd show the doll or the, the doll thing that was Oh, it was on the ground. Just oh, was it on the ground? Oh, okay. Yeah. It'd be good if it, like the camera panned over to it and it just had like a surprised look on its face. I think maybe this shot here is No. No, not at all. Sorry. Take that back, it's not play misty for me, is it? No, no, that no, because this this is San Francisco. Uh, whereas Misty for me is, ba- I think it was basically filmed around where Clint Eastwood was living or lives. So he he didn't want to travel. He didn't want to travel. Do you think it was a bit of a cheap shot about? Is it called synesthesia about hearing colors and tasting the sounds? To equate that with being a a slasher is a bit. Yeah, yeah. It seems kind of cool. str- <laughs> seems kind of strange. <laughs> that actress kind of oh. What is going on? I guess it's a different movie. I was going to say that actress kind of reminded me of a different actress. These are just some of the highlights of Peter Swan's films. Oh, well, then we know he's a jerk because he <laughs> films horror movies. I think one of them, one of these scenes was supposed to be Cujo and um, I forget what other movie. Do you think these... Yeah, Cujo with... Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Do you think these... Do you think Clint Eastwood movies are... Not Clint Eastwood. Do you think Dirty Harry movies are always aimed at old people? By this time, probably. <laughs> well, this movie feels very much aimed at old people, but I, I don't feel like the first movie is aimed that way. Even though it, it does have like a very kind of old person view of like how you know how the criminal justice system worked at that time, which is completely ridiculous. But uh, it feels like this movie is yeah, it's just like aimed at a particular group of people, and and even though I am you know, I'm antiquated. I'm not that antiquated. This movie is like hitting anywhere near my wheelhouse, you know. It said get Swan, get his butt in here. I don't think <laughs> butt really belongs in the Dirty Harry universe. Police use ass. So I don't know. <laughs> Bit confused. They're trying to be G-rated, but then they say shit out of luck. And yeah, 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 yeah. Donnelly, he doesn't, he doesn't swear. Well-known part of his personality. Also his neglect of his eyebrows. We have another threatened suicide scene, which of course is a nod Yes. To the first movie and is also um, tantalizingly, it's the location of the, um, of North Beach, you know, where the, um, the church is in the first Diddy Harry. Okay. Yeah. 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 I was wondering what church that was. I've attended services in, in their, in their big Episcopal church in San Francisco. You got to help us. You got to help us, Harry. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know what to do. We're policemen. We have no training in, in how to talk down suicides. <laughs> oh dear. Although the way that things have been going lately, it seems like police do need some training in de-escalation. <laughs> there certainly weren't cameras in the early seventies at the first suicide scene. No, that's right. I mean, but you know, you can't stop the media. Am I right? <laughs> it's the media is the, who's to blame and also horror movies do you think they were forced to do this they thought oh they've just done it in Lethal Weapon 1 let's um, remind people that Clint did, Harry did it first and how good Harry would be at it he's better than Mel Gibson <laughs> this movie come out after Lethal Weapon uh, the year following the first one yeah oh okay wow wow I mean that's that's sad when you think about it like that's a really well made movie and you know really well done lots of suspense and then there's this movie which just feels like like a, it was done like a hobby. Yeah. You know, like a bunch of friends get together. Let's get together and make a movie. 
My mum has a camera. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and is it too late? Is it too late in the movie for this sort of diversion? Like this is sort of a... In the first movie, it's like an establishing sheen of how Harry's dirty or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It just, yeah, he always gets the dirty jobs and he's not afraid to... He's not afraid... He's not afraid to cut corners or to t- take chances, you know. And but this scene, yeah, it doesn't bu- it doesn't build the character at all. It has no relation to the. Like I say, this movie is is not a. It's not a. Harry doesn't believe it. And Harry is supposed to be famous, but not that famous. The suicide guy doesn't recognize <laughs> he doesn't him. Know him. Yeah, he's famous enough to be in a. He's famous enough to be in a Deadpool. <laughs> Deadpool famous. I mean, we've had, like here in Vancouver, we've had policemen arrest like notorious serial killers, you know? I don't know who they are. Yeah. Like, this isn't a thing. Like famous policemen isn't a thing. Like it's a, so, that's a silly part of this movie. The idea that there's famous policemen, you know? Like how many famous policemen can we think of, you know? that? Oh, he's throwing it. He's getting real. This is the second PTSD uh, experience they have together, this lovely couple. <laughs> Maybe it would have been more appropriate after this yeah. that he asks her to dinner or something. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, don't, I, I think in either case, it's, it's uh, kind of creepy that he... Uh... Look out, everyone. Look out. This is the part of the movie where maybe Harry could have an encounter with the actual bad guy, the killer, like Scorpio at the cross or something, and gets away. Just something... I don't know. Well, what... What's your... (laughs) He just shoves her to the ground. (laughs) Yep, he rescued that guy. I just... uh, I mean, my problem with this movie, you know, it is... um, just the fact that it's no, a murder she wrote episode. It's a, it, it's filmed like a murder she wrote episode, but a murder she wrote episode has a through line, you know, like it has like a storyline it tells, and and the murderer has like a has like a, a a legitimate you know reason to kill people for what you know whether it's someone's blackmailing them or they wanted money or they you know they they wanted to inherit all the money from the will whatever you know like there's some reason for the murder, but in this movie. You know, I, I know in the first movie, Scorpio's crazy, and that's just, but, you know, that, but that's done for a, for, for a reason in that movie. The reason is that it's a polemical movie, and it's just making a case for, you know, for the poli- for police and, you know, kind of complaining about Miranda rights and all that stuff that was, com- you know, coming about at that time. And, you know, and so it's, you know, making this case. But in this movie, there's no case to be made for, for that kind of stuff anymore. So we've already, we've already, uh, Lo, you know, kind of lowered that element or changed that element of of Harry's character mm. with 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 Magnum Force. So, so what is the point of what is the point of it then? You know, it doesn't. They all hate me. <laughs> Once again, it's like Clint. Apart from the French, everyone hates me. <laughs> well, maybe you shouldn't talk to that chair on a stage, Clint. <laughs> Would you have liked the red herring? I was thinking before. What if um, Swan had, like, shacked up with Jim Carrey's girlfriend or something? Or some even... Just something like that. Just make it a bit more suspicious. Yeah. Well, give him an actual motive for killing Johnny Squares or whoever, you know? Like, 
like uh there's no i mean so the reason that the the film reviewer gets murdered is because she's given bad reviews to 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 swan films mm. right but why does johnny scrooge get killed there's no there's no there's no beef between him and and swan if anything the murderer has hampered swan in, in his attempts to make a movie if this guy's supposed to be a big fan and believes that he's Swan. Why is he like getting in his well, own way? Maybe Swan is like a Ted Nugent type, where he's actually a moral crusader, like these people were seeing in the background on the TV. He does drugs and everything, but he's the, he's actually a, a right wing conservative as he presents. <laughs> maybe I don't know. Ted Nugent doesn't do drugs. No, he does not. Straight edge man. Um, I finally like some of Lalo's soundtrack in this scene um there's like a stabbing you can't hear now but um it's pretty much one he recycles have you seen roller coaster with richard widmark and um henry fonda that 70s movie about a guy who plans to blow up um roller coasters and the crazy guy yeah um yeah i I have seen that movie yeah he pretty much recycles the Oh, we forgot to mention that both Jim Carrey and Liam Neeson, two actors that both appear in a Batman motion picture. He's in the car for a long time, isn't he? Yeah, he sure is. Oh. Idling. Just got to set that mirror quite right. I guess his wife borrowed it. Look at that. Oh, no. IMDb says it's a goof. Not that They couldn't fit enough C4 on that small car to destroy a car, which I don't know how true that is. C4 can be quite small, but... Well, I assume that the blast of the C4 would ignite the gasoline in the tank, and that would create your create more of your explosion, I guess. Now, we can see here the killer does not have a goatee, if you look really closely. So it's not... Well, if you're watching in the cinema in a bad quality VHS, you wouldn't tell, but <laughs> yeah. it's definitely not his um, special effects guy. Yeah, yeah. What a bomb wreck. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that really counts as a gaffe. Who cares? I mean, I've, <laughs> I have trouble with that kind of stuff when people are like pointing out those sort of things in a movie. Like, it doesn't matter. So can- but don't you have don't you have a problem with an inspector just contaminating evidence in a few minutes? He's going to pick up a small wheel and just go eh, and chucks it away. <laughs> yes, that that bothers me more. Yeah, like, eh. <laughs> no gloves. Yeah, just picks it up, looks at it, huh? I like how he says, I don't know. Could have done with a few more jokes here, like a police squad type Frank Drebin joke. What is your... <laughs> police squad. Oh, I thought you were thinking police academy. Yes. We've got we've two-thirds of the way through the movie now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, here. Here, Patricia Clarkson, viewers, listeners, she, she sounds really Southern. Um, so maybe they filmed this first when she was working out a character when she got a bit excited... Because um, she's from Louisiana, it turns out. Oh, okay, okay. I mean, we do establish that she's from a small town and has come to San Francisco from, from that place and made a career for herself, but... Oh, I found out um, the Frank Miller connection was not the original Sin City, but something called Sin City, that yellow bastard, which I hope isn't racist, but um, he wrote that as a response. Stabby. Stabby. Yes. He'll show he'll show them all. Who are you? As a response. 
to incorporate such a bad send-off to Dirty Harry. Presumably that's about a a good send-off for whoever's in Sin City. Oh, he's mad. Now that we know he's crazy. Well, he's got synesthesia. He must be mad. Synesthesia, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Again, no goatee in the mirror there. So how many people are on this Deadpool? Yeah, well, there were three lists. One was Swan and... Oh, I guess they make their own list up. I guess that's the idea. Clint Eastwood has real old man body here. <laughs> you can still see to the left of the frame, see the freeway overpass there that goes down by the Embarcadero? That was destroyed in the earthquake that happens a year after this. Oh, really? Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. Actually, an example of rejuvenation that makes the, the waterfront look a bit lot, a lot nicer. Getting rid of that. Uh, hmm. And we're also pretty much just over the road from where Scorpio holds up the liquor store in the first movie filming location. You know where he gets the Luger at the end before he takes the bus hostage? Okay, okay. Hmm. And these tattoos are Korean tattoos, not Chinese. Hmm. Do they... Est- do they establish him as, as Chinese, or...? You know what? No! He just says Asian-American would be good for the police's image. Yeah. I mean, they do have the Chinatown sequence, but that doesn't really mean that... No. They're not all the same, Dave. There he is, ogling again. Ogling? <laughs> man! Old man! Did you leave your shirt untucked? Good lord. Roller skating! Yeah, look at that. Pre-roller blades. Or inline blades, if you prefer. And here's an... It's flip-flopping. Here's an example of where Harry is a celebrity that even um, Grandfather Quan knows him. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he might... Maybe Grandfather Quan has some some knowledge of the... uh... Do you think Harry's still... Oh, another big car. Another sequence where it just so meaningless to the to the floor of the film that you, <laughs> you could cut it out and it would make no difference at all. One of these guys is Clint's uh, stunt double, George Orison. Okay. And the other guy called Mark Alimo apparently is from Deep Space Nine, plays a character called Ghoul Ducat. Ghoul Ducat. Apparently quite a big deal in the in the series, but not my bag. I never watched it. Look out. Signature Clint move. Well, usually it's him punching the camera. I don't know if we've seen that directly. <laughs> oh, right to the glass. Oh, my gosh. Terrible. Wouldn't that often quite hurt someone more than it does? Yeah. I think it would possibly kill them <laughs> if you put them through glass like that. I think this is one of the only times Harry actually says fuck. In The Enforcer, unfortunately, it's very, very horrible. He goes, you fucking fruit, about mm. the, the bad guy terrorist. But I yeah. think that's the only other time. Yeah. Oh, editing sweet. <laughs> Old-fashioned, a movieola. Very nice. Harlan Rook. <sighs> so now we, we, end, we end the red herring. 
Yeah. We end the red herring. We've identified the actual killer, but we know nothing about this person. It's just, and I don't, you know, you, you asked a question, which is, should we know more about Scorpio? Did you want to talk about that? Um, no, not really. Okay. I mean, you know a lot more about these dramatic devices than me, but in a whodunit, you don't, you don't need to spend a lot of time with the killer if you don't know who they are, right? But it doesn't work as a whodunit because the red herring isn't set up. Well, I don't know. No, no, you're right. You, yeah. you know, in a who in a in a um in a movie like this, you don't necessarily want you don't need necessarily need backstory, but you do do need to have some sense of the threat. Like you need to establish like what this character will do, and I don't just mean kill other people, but I mean what their strengths and stuff are, and there has to be something about them that is threatening to Harry. But we have nothing of that to that character, you know. So. And presumably right now, you should think, oh, surely the killer's going to kill Swan. Yeah, yeah. Because, it, because, you know, he's not a suspect anymore. Yeah, yeah. But he's, yeah. So now he should be, but he's, I guess he's not on the list. I don't really understand. I don't understand what the Deadpool, how it works as a, as a, as a motive. We were talking in the review episode that maybe now you could think about them wanting to put Swan into hiding or that Harry has to look after him. Like, they should be considering that Swan's going to be a suspect. But... Yeah, yeah. Or a, a victim, yeah, or a possible uh, sorry, yeah, target, yeah. yeah. Oh, look at that. Ooh. You know that she's a modern woman because she's driving a European car. <laughs> Not one of these American uh, boxes. Brian wanted us to mention that Harry definitely had some sort of Marine Corps cup on his desk in his little nook before. Hinting at maybe his his background. Oh, some more bad slow motion night shots. I wonder how I wonder how he feels about like an actor who didn't did no. I don't think Clint Eastwood did any military service, did he? No, famously he was a lifeguard, and his numbers never came up. And and uh, just you know to kind of like assume a kind of a oh. military you know like give a military background to a character that's uh, that's. You know, like when, like I think Dirty Harry is a character that Clint Eastwood is, is kind of happy to associate with himself, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Was Harry doing a walk of shame or a stride of pride out of Patty Clark's uh, home? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a pride stride. Is there a Dirty Harry Jr.? Is there a, oh, Magnum. Do you think there's a the result of this union may have a little Harry Jr. in the future, Dave? No, I think. Uh, Remember, there was a Beverly Hills Cop TV movie with Aaron Foley. Axel Foley has a son. So. Oh yeah, huh. reboot. <laughs> I'm sure it was great. I should mention here: this is um, filmed at the Alamo Square, you know, with a famous um, um, what's that TV show with the Olsen twins in it from the '80s? Full House was oh, filmed. Full House, okay. Yeah. Well, the exteriors were filmed. Yeah. Now, is this the best bit of the Deadpool, Dave, in your opinion? I mean, it's silly, but it is the best part because it, at least it's in- interesting. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's kind of fun, and and uh, I don't think they do. I don't think they make the best use of it. It took a week and a half to film. Wow. I'll just ro- roll through the important the important bits, Dave. The car was a one to ten scale. The model car. Yeah. It was driven by a former International Federation of Model Auto Racing guy <laughs> called Jay Halsey. Okay. 
Um, and Mythbusters said, okay, it probably could keep up with a real car, speed-wise, but... I don't think that's impossible. I think where it would have more trouble is uh, keeping its wheels on the road, like not flipping. Yes. And also simultaneously driving your car along with it, like a one-person driving a real car while simultaneously controlling would yeah, be Yeah, yeah, that would be quite pretty difficult. Feat. Yeah, yeah. When they were filming, the car actually outsped Harry's um, <laughs> Oldsmobile. Well, it's, yeah, it's an Oldsmobile. <laughs> At various various points of this scene, you'll see on the car, the undercarriage, there's like extra steel plating there for support. Okay, yes, for to control rollover and stuff. All those cars were not uh, designed for speed. They're designed, they're just clunky clunky, weak, <laughs> weak motored. Yeah, just awful, awful cars. Would people really be jumping out of the way? Well, I guess they would. Jumping out of the way of the small car. <laughs> it's, you know, like I say, it's silly, but it's fun. And, you, you know, it is the most entertaining part of the movie. For sure. We did see, we did see, um, what was it? A peaking restaurant appear a few times. Up and down that street a few times, I think. I wish there was a few more nods to... I mean, there there are a few nods. Like, this is obviously nods to uh, the bullet chase here. Right. Going over the hills and stuff like that. But it, they need to have, like... They need to have the Volkswagen that's, like, in three different parts of the chase mm. in uh, Bullet. They need to have that parked so that it keeps appearing. Just stuff like that would be fun, but... Uh, they didn't. And there's no music in this in this scene, which I think is quite honorable in a way. Well, it stands on its own. There probably was something written for it where they went, yeah, no. It's funny that a lot of this what? next few scenes are filmed in Protura Hill, um, which is near where Charlie Russell, with the young African-American kid, shot in the first movie. Hmm. Oh, okay, okay. Hmm. Um, I couldn't help but, you know, look at the many, many INDB entries here. <laughs> And they said, shouldn't Callahan and Kwan have radioed in, like, for help? But yeah, I guess, what would you say? Or who would believe you? Or what would they do with that information? Well, yeah, what would they do? Like, how could you, what are they going to do? Like, I guess if someone, if there's some patrol cars on the road, but I, maybe to Harry, you're just putting someone else in danger and they're already, you know, maybe felt, felt he could handle it. Oh, yikes. Would you prefer to have Swan in the car than Al? Yeah, I just think it'd make more more of an entertaining, a more entertaining sequence. I think, yeah, I just think it'd be fun if if Harry was supposed to be looking after Swan and uh, and you got a bit of an odd couple situation between the two of them. That would be would be more fun, you know. There's been a few nods to the first movie, in this movie, but they didn't. Mi- they missed a key one there <clears throat> when he said, "Time's up, Callahan." He should have copied Scorpio and said, "Bye, bye, Callahan." <laughs> bye bye. <laughs> I don't know if you want to ha- always have callbacks to other uh, <laughs> other movies, but uh, I guess I guess Harry's dead. Well, the first bomb did a lot more damage than it has done here. Or is that because thanks to Harry's good maneuvering? Yeah. Oh no. Another option, rather than reversing, would have as quick as I could see if they could get out of the uh, out of the car. Like what is what is hurt L here? Like it's no sign of like it doesn't really explain. Oh, two fractured ribs. But why is there so much blood? 
Yeah. Yeah, it seems to suggest the, uh, well, spoiler alert, the bulletproof vest didn't really work. Well, I guess it did. They said if he didn't have it on, he would have died, so. But I don't. Yeah, but it still pierced. Okay. Oh, it didn't pierce? I mean, I guess it was the the impact more than. I mean, you're still going to feel the impact. Like, people, you know, in movies, bulletproof vests are treated like like they're magical things. I mean, you can still get like a bruise and incredible pain from, from a shot wearing a vest. It's, you know. Better than being, uh, better than being killed, but it's still painful. Can a can a psychiatrist really divulge this information to the police without? Well, I suppose he, he, without a subpoena or something, or they're just helping with the helping the police with their inquiries. <laughs> I, well, I wonder if they can choose to to give information that they feel will help in uh, help. In a case if they feel he's a threat, if he feels he's a threat, then. I think he he would have some responsibility to to help the police, but you mean the exigent circumstances, whatever it's called. Yeah, I think you know he could. Or you mean on the other hand, maybe maybe that that guy's lawyer could argue that that the psychiatrist shouldn't have devolved that information, and and the guy gets freed, and then he kidnaps a bus full of kids. Once again, they're rolling out the trope of multiple personality. I don't know if that's what the status of that is now with um, psychopathy, how often one proves the other, or whether the people with multiple personalities are more likely to be sociopathic or whatever the word is. I don't know if that still runs true. It's kind of interesting that they, they hired Malcolm McDowell to do the uh, voice of Swan for that telephone conversation. <laughs> but is the multiple personality thing true? Well, yeah, it's just mumbo-jumbo. I mean, multiple personalities oh. is... I think as a as an idea is pretty uh pretty fringe in in psychiatric. This circles. is a similar scene to in the line of fire, isn't it, where they finally come across Melkovich's lair. Yeah, but Melkovich is such a such a more interesting character than this. Uh... Yeah. Uh, there was a bit of other jokes on the wall. Did you see there was a poster? It said, "Help! I'm living with zombies in stucco apartments." <laughs> bit of social commentary there. Yeah. It's interesting how much doing parodies of things kind of inspires people to be actually creative. Mm. Like, it's kind of fun, like the evil hands or happy hands part of the sequence is more creative. Like, all those posters and stuff are more creative than anything you'll see in the movie. It's, it's, kind, of fun. it's kind of fun that all the background stuff is more interesting than the actual film itself. Yeah, you can dress up a set for things that aren't in the script. Ugh. Oh, no. Oh, it's glasses. Oh, dear. <laughs> This is a little bit too intense for what we've seen so far, isn't it? Well, especially for a long time glasses wearer like me to see glasses get covered with blood is terrible. <laughs> it's hard to take. You know, Dave, 88, it's like the last year you could have a bad excuse. We've got Alan Rickman in Die Hard, right? Mm-hmm. You can have really interesting, even though his backstory is not nutted out, it's just such a powerhouse performance you don't have to have just cardboard cutouts anymore but this movie does yeah and it doesn't i mean it has liam neeson but it doesn't really exploit his his acting abilities that very much uh it doesn't it doesn't have any yeah and then the actor playing the role like he has he doesn't have like a juicy <laughs> part like i say like there's no cat and mouse it'd be fun if he was calling harry and taunting him or yeah you know there was some sort of back and forth between them so you got you got that sense of uh yeah, I mean, there's not even like a cat and a mouse game where where this guy taunts Harry, 
there's like no relation there's no relationship between them like in the first film like scorpio and harry have a relationship you know yep they went out on dates they went on a ferry ride to alcatraz they did it all and like look at this guy who is he we haven't even seen him before we've finally seen him harland rook what a name harland rook yeah he's a just a piece in the chessboard Fun fact, uh, actor is David Hunt, who is married to Patricia Heaton, who is, you know, the main woman from Everyone Loves Raymond. Yeah, okay. Good for them. They have a lot of money. <laughs> I wonder why he has a curved knife. Is that, is it scarier? Is the scimitar scarier than just a regular uh, a knife? He's definitely no Scorpio, but do you think maybe Rook, this guy Rook, is at least, you know, the other side, the doppelganger to Swan? Maybe. <laughs> no, because he doesn't, like, nothing interesting about him and not where you feel like he's, uh, like, what are, like, describe his character to me. Um, you know? Um, he is a synesthesia <laughs> sufferer. Oh, sorry. He's just like a cipher that we have no, no knowledge of. We have no sense of, of who he is or what he does or what his motives are or anything anything like that, you know? He's got an English accent, so he must be effete, well, villainous, there you go. or homosexual, you know? That's true. <laughs> <laughs> mm. I love that chair. I wonder what uh, movie that was for. I'm just trying to imagine mm. now. Of the f- posters that we saw, which one had a... a well, I guess they all had Hotel Satan. Could that be. was the, in the lobby. That's what I'm, I'm guessing now. A chair fit for Obama? <laughs> I guess the movie's trying to uh, have its cake and eat it too, and both having the a kind of strong female protagonist, but at the same time she has to be a a uh, you know woman in distress for Harry. So we we have to have uh, a bit of fight back, but then we can't have like success or her run off and be hiding somewhere. What do you think of Harry's acting in this? Sorry, Clint's acting. Is it just what perfunctory? In a <laughs> is it just what Anthony Hopkins says? You know, N A R. No acting required. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's hard to know. Like, I don't know Clint Eastwood, so I don't know how much he's acting in his performances. But I feel in this movie that he's he's giving like a pretty low key, low. Uh, I'll say, like not low. He's not giving, not putting himself out there very much in this role. I mean, he obviously felt like this was like. Uh, something he just you know he had to do and he just kind of did it in a in a somewhat willingly but not very willingly way and mm. he probably had other irons in the fire that were much more interesting to him and this was just uh and this was just sort of like uh you know like how long did they film in this movie it was just like a month wasn't it it was pretty fast yes just a few weeks oh the radio like all old people they hated uh they hated uh tape tape uh, what were they called I don't want to call them what we used to call them. It's a, a beach blaster. <laughs> there you go. Why doesn't Harry shoot him now? He's like a, just like at, at the, at the quarry. He could just shoot. Yeah, him yeah. down. I thought shooting assholes was his policy. I think Rook got an American accent for a second. <laughs> Mr. Famous fucking cop. <laughs> All right, so some people know him. Grandpa the Quan knows him. The killer knows him. The suicide doesn't know him. <laughs> famous, famous policeman with your picture on Time magazine. 
this guy's like a he's like a celebrity you know hunter from oh oh no mm. he squirted ink on her neck yuck <laughs> the ink pool I guess this movie should have been called The Local Deadpool. It's just all local celebrities. It's so, uh, it's, I mean, like, I guess it's done all right. Like, you know, it's, it's put together okay. And maybe the, maybe the, the cinematographer edited it on the go. <laughs> so, so he just, he just filmed everything that they'd need for the, for the edit. He's like, oh, well, you'll, you'll need a guy chasing him over here. So we'll film that. And you'll need, you'll need them sneaking around over here. So we'll film that, you know. <laughs> Patricia Clarkson's not bad, is she? Say what you will about the Harrys series, but all of the female roles, they're filled by pretty intelligent women and actors. What? It didn't even distract him. What was the purpose of that? Silly. (laughs) Threw threw a wrench and broke some lights. You're wasting equipment. Another camera is wrecked. Don't worry. She'll show her, she'll show what what a powerful, uh, oh. Every man she meets covers her mouth. I guess that's symbolic or something. Then I like that we're like, you know, she's she's a competent woman. She's a career woman. She yeah. has she has some smarts. Mm-hmm. She'll be okay. Yeah, she's Patty fucking Clarkson. She knows what to do. She won't do anything silly. <laughs> oh wait a second. Oh, I'll just tur- I'll just turn on this giant turbine that's in this warehouse. Yeah, what's that doing there? I guess, maybe that's the wind machine. Oh. Speaking of wind machines, Police Academy 5 Assignment Miami Beach also came out in 1988 and was also number five in its series. Did it have more life in it as a sequel than the Deadpool? Maybe better cinematography as well. I've never heard the words police and academy said together as much in my life. Who was Clint Eastwood's cinematographer before Green? Was it like... Surtees? Someone named Surtees, right? Mm. Like, that guy was a real... A Bruce. He really liked to use a lot of shadow, and, and uh, I think Green's kind of uh, drawing from his bag of tricks here with a lot of uh, silhouettes. And... But it can't escape... It can't escape his desire to, like, still have everything somewhat in light, you know? Like, that's, I think, what gives it that kind of TV feel to it, is that there's never, like... He doesn't sacrifice visual coherence to to style which is something that movies don't have as much problems with you know you know so even though it's using a lot of like light exist you know existing light sources the movie still always has this like look at this like he's he's going out into the darkness of night but it's as as lit as anything you could imagine it's you know there's obviously like a big floodlight shining from nowhere like there's no so even though the movie attempts to use light sources that are natural, like this sequence is entirely lit from uh, just giant floodlights outside that aren't natural to this to the scene, and that's why I think that's what kind of affects how we how the movie looks and gives it that slightly TV movie feel. Detailed analysis. Now the first four Dirty Harry movies were all in the U.S. top ten box office. But this movie pretty much tanked, and it was released at the height of summer as well. Others were all at Christmas. So, does this mean we're more likely to put up with Harry's methods and bullshit when we're cold? (laughs) (laughs) I can't remember now. Do they use the do they does do they use the final 
this final film is like the chase sequence is a, a, a uh-huh. bullet counting sequence no. as well. Should we be keeping track of that he's shot like five times or whatever now? That would be kind of clever if they kind of cap cap off the the series of films with a, you know, the guy's out of bullets and he doesn't know it. Would be. Bit. No, it it doesn't. No, see, they shouldn't have done it like that. He should fire at Callahan and then realize he's out of bullets, not be told he's out of bullets, and then Callahan walk into to shot with his uh, spear gun. Harpoon. Or harpoon. Can you actually actually firing this thing while standing? Ah, uh, this harpoon. He's not feeling lucky? Do you think it's fun or does it undercut any seriousness the movie's had to this point? I guess so. Whew. Maybe it sort of fits his character. Like the big elephant gun on the rooftop in the first Dirty Harry. And it's Chekhov's gun. We've seen it earlier in the movie, so we need it needs to be brought out again. Oh, and maybe it's it's pretty fitting. It's a Warner Brothers movie, so it's like a Wally Coyote or Roadrunner type thing. <laughs> That's quite a long bow, but I'll allow it. And anyway, they gave away the harpoon in the trailer, so. <laughs> There's some other movies with spear guns, isn't there? The end of Face Off? There's that tantalizing bit in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> Where's her blanket? She's got the best story. She doesn't need to. She doesn't need to do this. I was there, by whatever her character's name was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nah, not dramatically very well put together there, guys. He should have thought he still had a bullet left and fired at Harry, and then realized he was out of bullets. They tried. Harry outcounted him. Well known, dirty Harry characteristic his math skills. Where's all the steam gone? Like nowadays, this would be a drone shot, but drone shots, drone shots suck. They don't have like the movement that you get from like that slight kind of shaky element of the helicopter. You know, there's something sort of appealing about that. Maybe I'm just old fashioned. Mm-hmm. Clint Eastwood, and then a long list of people you've never heard of, some of whom James Carey. Look at that. Oh, so questions. Does Swan end up making a movie about Harry Callahan? <laughs> or homage? Maybe. Let's go with that. Do you think Lieutenant Ackerman's, in, in the end, he's happy with how Harry's wrapped up the case? <laughs> uh. I bring that up because in the next movie, Eastwood's next movie, I think, is The Rookie, or the second next one anyway, where Charlie Sheen plays someone called Ackerman, so... They never, you never give up a, a great name for a cop. <laughs> well, I hope that's true. Oh, can I just point out that guy's name, Brian SMRZ? It's pretty rare that you see a name that has no vowels in it. That's interesting. What were we talking about again? Supervising editor Joel Cox. Of course, I think he won for um, the Unfor- uh, for Unforgiven for editing. Mm-hmm. I believe that he's supervising on this because he was busy um, editing Bird at the time, so he wasn't available. He had to 
at the editing and all those shots of the symbol flying in the air for a uh, bird. I did not know that. You know, nowadays, except for like the Patreon crawl at the end of uh, YouTube videos, there's this, you don't get as much opportunity to see uh, interesting names anymore. Montague Westmore. What a name for a makeup artist, right? Like you couldn't, mm. you couldn't, if you put that in the book, people would just put it down as, they just put the book down. They couldn't stand it. They'd just say, that's not <laughs> real at all. No one would possibly have that name. Now, in my mind, Harry's now worked out, oh, it's serious with me and Patricia Clarkson. I'm going to finally, finally now introduce her to Meathead. <laughs> Standby painter. I guess that's in case uh, someone needs their portrait painted quite away. W. Axel Rose. I didn't even know that. Is his first name Bill? I hope so. Guns N' Roses, the last gasp of L.A. rock before grunge wiped it all off the, wiped everything off of the board. Gonna get mail. Forgot to mention that CSI Miami did a similar episode. I haven't seen it based on a, a Deadpool type scenario. Maybe they did it better than this one. No, I will not allow it. Forget it. All right, everyone. 1988. What a year. Oh, yeah. It wasn't quite the 90s. It wasn't, it was no longer as much the 80s. It was kind of a no man's land. Goodbye. Well, we hope you enjoyed this commentary track. Mm -hmm. Bye, everyone. Bye.